All right, let's go. Let's go, let's go. Hey, welcome to Disaster Podcaster. Hope you are doing well. This is the podcast all about the restoration industry. You have a lot of place to put your time in your ears, and we are glad you're sharing that with us today. This podcast can be found across all your favorite channels for Spotify, Google, uh, who you know, Apple, everybody that you know does all the the podcasts. You can listen to it audible version there, um, or if you prefer video, because sometimes we have visual aspects of this. This is also videotaped at the same time, and it's on our YouTube channel at Restoration Advisors. You can see our playlist there of disaster podcaster find the most recent version or go back to watch all of them and then lastly if you just really want to just go look at disasterpodcaster.com all of our past episodes are there from season two season one and that's it so finding ourselves today here back on our series on professional companies and professional people in the restoration industry today will mark part three part one was those being technically accomplished the the people that make up this industry uh, actually put in the time to learn the trade do the experience as well as the certifications and having some advanced things so that was a great episode a lot of great reviews from that one. You can get the link down below or just look and watch look for it on one of our channels. Um, our second one was around leadership and culture. Probably could have been put as the first part because it's hugely important. But what it means in our industry or in any company, any industry, to actually be a leader. Um, you know, a lot of people think of just being a boss, telling people what to do is being a leader and that is not necessarily true you need to develop people develop talent develop humans um, that can grow to become better humans and better not only for your company for but for society uh, we have a quite a um, quite a responsibility there to do so today is our third part of this series and i'm excited to get started on this one because this is more in the lane of what I have spent my career uh, doing and coaching, and, and that's being structured, being an organized, responsible, systems and process-oriented company and being structured in a way that it's not just, <laughs> just because we're a small business doesn't mean we have to run like a small business. Um, it's okay for a small business to have big boy, big company, big corporate uh, structure and you can find that in a lot of different ways but i really really think that um a shrinking percentage of our industry finds itself especially in its early days which i think are important i, I think it's easier to get to a larger company when you have systems when you're small than it is to fumble your way through lose tons of money tons of time which is more important than money to try to get to that larger level until you just realize that I don't have any systems. Those big companies did not just get where they were just by shooting from their hips. Everything you do has got to have some purpose around it, some plan, some organization. You're going to get by so far, and then you're going to hit a ceiling. And and that ceiling in this industry is about $1.4 I watch people 
kind of if they got their things figured out, they get right to one point four million. If they uh, if they get past that, their weaknesses are really starting to show up, and you got people problems and money missing and and broken items and the volume just over exceeds the capacity. So I want to talk today about, um, of, of being a structured company. Okay. Um, what it means to me and, um, hopefully I will, I'm, I know I'm going to leave some things off. Um, I, I could never in the kind of time that we have to do our podcast, we could never do everything. So I encourage you, I invite you to drop comments, uh, wherever you're listening to this and let me know about some things that you think that we left off because I'd love to um, I'd love to have this a, a conversation starter, which is everything that I do. What is a structured company? Um, what does that look like? Now, I want to go ahead and tell you that you might think that these aren't achievable tenants for a smaller company, and you would be wrong. The information is all there. There's a saying, there's nothing new under the sun that you can't learn. The information is out there. You need to get really, really serious on reading books, surrounding yourself with uh, mentors, colleagues, and peers. Join masterminds. Do whatever you need to do. The answers are there. The, the recipe for the ingredients that you already have, it's out there ready for you to use. And on mo- the most good people will probably give you most of that stuff uh, because they want to see you succeed. But this is about where people start reaching out to restoration advisors for coaching. And I'm happy to help. But you can do a lot of things on your own. The first one, structured company has got to have a mission and a vision and, and some core core values, core goals. That's it's an automatic. And um, this is a big one because a lot of people ignore this. They do it wrong. They misinterpret what it really is. There are a lot of people who have their own opinion about what the mission and vision are. I'll tell you right now that they are internal and they are not marketing. Now, if you want to have something catchy, like a catchphrase on your website, on your business card, or on your email signature, that's fine. That's your elevator pitch. That's your one-liner, whatever you want. But as far as a mission, you're the captain of a boat and you're trying to go to that island. And this is how we're going to get there. We're going to row. Then we're going to take a break and we're going to eat. Then whatever whatever the mission is, we want to serve this community. But don't make it catchy. It doesn't, don't read 50 other people's mission statement and try to sculpt your own. What's your mission? What's the outcome? What do you want three years from now, five years from now, for you to look back and say, we are here because I was pushing us to get there before. That's your mission and your vision and, and your goals. Um, core values are in there too. Um, that's a big one. People talk about that all the time. I think they mis, mislabel what core values are. For and They have to match your goals. Everyone needs to be smart in your company. Well, duh. How about intelligent? There's a difference between smart and intelligent. Goals, mission, vision, those are not marketing ploys. Those are your internal repeatable every single day the leader of the company comes in and you know he or she is going to say this is our mission and this is how we're going to get there let's go they got to mean something to you to them everyone has to have buy-in they can't just be arbitrary we want to be the best it's not going to work you can't just say i want to be the best um i want to be the best restoration company 
in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, I'm not in, I'm not too enthused about that. I mean, I'd love to be the best, but best how? Which boxes do we check for that? Really, 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 really learn how to craft a great mission. It's probably already here. You just need to learn how to get those tools to get it out and talk to the team every morning, every day. Every meeting starts with this, and everyone can repeat it back to you because they know what we're trying to do and that you're actually getting there. Speaking of which, if you already have your mission and vision, does your team know? I can't tell you how many times I visit people and I will sit down with staff and techs and office and I'll say, what's the company mission, the vision? I don't know. I know we have one. Um, I think it's written in a handbook that I got when I first started. Uh, that's not working. No one's, if they're not thinking about it, it's not getting put front and foremost. You have to have that. Everyone has to know it. And then everyone needs to know what's our status on our mission. We have a mission. Let's say we have one. It's a good one. Um, everyone buys in. They love it. They embrace it. Um, they can't wait till we get there. But where are we now in that? Uh, are we halfway? Have we even started? It can't just be an eternal carrot that's out there. It could be uh, we're trying to serve. I, I know a business that says trying to serve 2,500 clients in the next two years to get to $4.5 million. That's a mission. It's, it's, a, it's a goal. It's a vision. And this is how we're going to do that. We're going to work every single way we can to get as many lead sources as we can, have opportunities, and we're going to try to close as many as we can. And, and you're going to have metrics on each one of those. How many leads a week do you need based on your closing ratio? What's the closing ratio that you require? Those are goals. You look at them every single week and say, ah, we came up short. Man, we killed it this week. What's our status now? Where are we? Because you can't just every week say, every month, year after year, say, we just want to be the best in the market. So does everybody else. Everybody else is starting out saying they want to be the best. Where are we? How are we know that we're the best? If we're the best, why are we not that busy? Why do we not have, why do we have five-star or one-star reviews? Be real, real about that. Be, you know, just be, be, be real clear on where we are with that. Have that in your, your monthly, your weekly, your quarterly meeting, whatever it is. But everybody on the team say, you know what? We're halfway. It's March, and we're a third to our goal. I would like to be halfway to our goal before the halfway point in the year so we buy ourselves a little bit of time. You want a team that's trying to figure out how to, to, to wire this up. Next thing in the professional company list is an organizational accountability clarity okay organizational charts are the corporate bubbles this is who reports to who connected to the person big fancy title um blah 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 gets people upset because they don't like to work for that person and blah 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 those don't do a lot except for in for a small company everybody knows they should know who they answer to um, if they if if a if an eight person team doesn't know the hierarchy and they need a chart, you as the leader or the managers that are there are not making it important enough to know that who reports to who, and you're sliding away from your responsibility to make sure everyone knows. But what I like to do is a hybrid of an accountability chart in an organization. Every single position in the company is accountable for something. A lead tech is accountable for properly placing the equipment 
maintaining the equipment, tracking it, tracking the daily moisture logs, cleaning a fire to industry standard, on and on and on. Uh, CFO is accountable for the budget being not only created, but explained to the rest of the company so everybody can play their part, design a system to that. The CEO is accountable to make sure that we have a, a vision, that we know where we're going and that what we're doing is working and that we continue to grow. If you don't have that, then everybody's just doing whatever and you're going to be um, really, really struggling. You're not going to have a lot of structure and it's going to pay uh, pretty bad dividends to you because it's going to be frustrating, especially as you grow beyond that one to $1.5 million range. These things really start to show up. So when you're doing the accountability chart, um, we're talking about the right people in the right seats. When you do it right, and we can show you how here at Restoration Advisors, right people in the right seats. Everybody probably fits somewhere, but a lot of times people are in the wrong position. You don't put people in positions, like I'm, I mentioned this on the last, uh, um, on part two we talked about, someone who's just not comfortable talking to people, very shy, very uh, gets worked up, anxiety-ridden, but you want them to deal with people who have had trauma and a flood or a fire in their house. And now they are angry at not understanding because two or three other people on the team didn't do what they're supposed to do. You're going to put the wrong people in the wrong seat and it's going to turn out badly. You're going to run off good people who just didn't clearly understand. When you have an accountability chart, you can look at, does this person I'm hiring check off all those boxes? Is that something that person man or woman, can do. In the hiring, you go over that accountability chart with someone saying, are these things you feel like you are capable of with my support, with my training, if we show you how that works? Someone will say, absolutely. So you now have an agreement. Everyone has a number. That one gets a lot of people, but there, there need to be some measurables for everyone on the team. What's the number that a lead technician must have is it uh, completes the job on time uh, obtains as many reviews no broken equipment uh, no accidents safety whatever everyone has a number a set of numbers they have to have that they also have to have a, a number with what do you it's not great I don't love saying this but everyone's a human resource an asset paying you X I'm paying you 40,000 a year I must have a return on that investment or that's a bad decision as a company. I'm not structured well if I have a lot of people that I'm paying almost the same amount as what they're earning for my company. If I if you're only earning fifty thousand and I'm paying you forty, it's not a great return on my investment, and I'm probably not doing very well with my profitability, and my overhead is too high. So you've got to figure out in big major companies and even some smaller companies are taught. These are all things you you can learn. This is a system. How you can find that number for every position and then have that in a way where you stop, people don't feel like they're being judged by it, but they're just being measured by it because this is a company. This is a job. This is not, you know, this is going to be taken real serious and you have an obligation to make sure it does that. The accountability chart, organization chart, who's responsible for what, um, just clarity. I know that's a Simple one to say, but everyone needs to know what not only they're responsible for, 
but everyone else. When that fails, when we do not call that customer back for that first appointment, who was supposed to do that? If it's everybody, then it's no one. And everyone's going to blame everybody else, and everybody's going to be frustrated because nobody really knows. If you had told someone that's your job, they would have done it. But your lack of doing that has caused it to be uh, just a frustration point. So you got to make it really, really, really clear. If you don't like, if you look at this like it's um, confrontation and you don't like to be confrontational, you're probably, probably not quite ready to be a leader yet. You're not stepping into no, because if you don't know why that person or people doing what they should be doing and doing it well and be accountable contributes to the growth of the company, if, if you're not confident in that answer, then you don't have enough of the information yourself and you have actually been put in a position where you're set up to fail as well. And then accountability, is it measured? Uh, I talked yesterday or uh, last week on the podcast on just reviews, performance, measurements, evaluations. Um, how do I do on my list of things that I'm accountable for in my position and your staff? How does everyone do if measured up? If we sat down and looked at each one of those, looked at the numbers over a period of time, are they measured? How am I doing? You know, am I growing? Am I, am I getting somewhere? Am I better than I was last period? Because no one wants to be flat and stagnant. If they do, what do I keep saying? You got the wrong people. If you're allowing people to lay and stay in mediocrity, you're not leading a real structured company. You're leading a very stagnant organization. And you're going to have a hard time attracting good people because good people don't want to stick around a company that allows that to happen. So I hope that makes sense. As we go through here, the next one is company alignment. We already talked a little bit about that with mission and vision, but really just staying with a leader, a leader's job is to make sure that everyone's rowing in the same position. Everyone has the same mission. Uh, companies have a really bad time of allowing some people to advocate for themselves, and they think we're doing something else, or they're doing what they would like to do more. But it doesn't feed the mission. And there's nothing more frustrating than a boat full of people rowing in different directions. Uh, we're trying to go there. But you're over here rowing to take me that way, and uh, three of you are going that way. Well, for those of us that signed on to go where you said we were supposed to go, for those of you that take it real serious that we have a mission, then I don't want to work with these guys and gals. Uh, I actually don't want to work here at all. I'll go find another boat, and they leave. So a couple of, a couple of uh, uh, metaphors there mixing, but I, I always like to say everybody's rowing the same uh, direction. It usually makes sense, and people understand what I'm talking about. Um, how diligent are you? Um, are you good at making sure we're keeping alignment do you have the foresight to notice when people are getting a little off and are not rowing the same direction do you have the ability to see it clearly and and then go address it um, if you're really 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 in the weeds in your business you're probably going to miss that or catch it too late so you don't want to do that and then you've got to have um a comeback plan. I like to call it a comeback plan. I always had a comeback plan in my uh, companies that I run. And now, if I get with my team and I have a session, which what I call an alignment tune-up, it's where I get everyone together in a conference room or away somewhere and just, just, just check our system. Make sure that we're structured and we're all aligned and everyone's, you know, your car's running optimum, your race car. 
wheels aren't sitting like this way and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you'll find that you weren't all in alignment. You were a little off here and there. So do you have a comeback plan? How do you pull it back in and say, okay, everyone, I, uh, I see here that, uh, we got a little off my fault. I was so busy the last quarter, uh, working on something new, trying to build up this new service or whatever that I didn't keep up. Cause you got, you have to keep your engine will loosen your vehicle. I keep using vehicle or boat. Your boat will loosen and it won't be tight. You've got to, it's maintenance all the time. And if you are the leader of the company, it's probably going to be on you to witness when it's not put together. Now you may delegate other people to do stuff to tighten, but it's up to you and any leader to have a structured company enough to where you have stuff you can see and measure. And it's real easy to notice when you're getting off, but what's your comeback plan? How do we get back on the same page? Nobody leaves that meeting. We're like, we're ready to go for another quarter boss fired up another half year, whatever it is. A really good structured company has got to be a sales company, a marketing company. I like to call this consistent leads process, which um, your job as the leader of the company is to ensure that you have, uh, you're feeding the whole, the whole family. You're feeding the group, the, the tribe. You might have business development people in your company. That's fine. They work for you, but it's your job to make sure that uh, as a hunter, that, that you still have got everything. Some people might not agree with that, but you've got to have that. If you don't have consistent leads, it will show itself into things get slow. People, you know, people don't get as many hours they need to. People start looking like they're just milking the clock, trying to make up for it and all kinds of bad things happen. So you've got to have marketing. You really, really, really need to have a structured company is a great marketing company. Prime example, Companies everywhere in this country, there's a lot of them do incredible good work. I'm talking can dry a building efficiently, uh, clean a fire, super great. Contents always come out with, with like 99% salvage, but they're not busy because they're not marketing and people don't know they exist. Meanwhile, you as a company are going behind. You're getting calls from customers or or, or other referral partners saying, hey, can you come out? We already, you know, this customer hired someone else. They didn't do a good job. And you get there and it's still soaking wet and it's still soot. The uh, content still smell bad. There's, they failed a, a mold test from an IH or an IEP, whatever it might be. And you look at who the company is like, wow, man, they are the leader in our market because they, they market all the time. I hear and see about them everywhere I go. People saying how great they are doesn't make them great. A lot of great companies that do good work don't tell anybody how good they are. Find that balance. Be the company that does great work. Put that in autopilot and go market. Build a team that can express because your community needs that good work. So become a marketing company. Job stability, uh, you know, is a very important one. Uh, good, good, consistent leads. Everyone has good confidence that uh, I've got a good job here. I'm going to be here a while. We're busy. Um, good jobs, not just any work, but profitable work with customers that love what you do. And, um, you know, just continually being stable. And then people see that if, we're, if we've got stability or we actually are getting busier, there's a place for me to grow. 
a pace for me to be promoted into. Okay. And then the last one is the right kind of leads. And I just mentioned that. Um, it's real, real easy when you're trying to market and go out and do sales and increase revenue to go out and hire and find customers that are not your avatar. When I say avatar, that's the term that we use of the ideal client, what that, what that caricature looks like of who your company should be working with, uh, uh, needs what you do, values good work, will actually turn over the check when they have it. Those are your ideal clients. When you're really, really, really starving and you're not doing a good job marketing, you go and you go to some of these lead sources or you get on programs and TPAs, and, and these are not high-quality clients. They're the lower quality. They're not the ones that the best companies are going after. They're leaving them for others to take. You don't want those either. Build yourself up. Have a structured company to where you know who your ideal client is. You know where they are, where they shop, what you need to say to attract them, and what you need to do to have them say, wow, you guys are great, and I will recommend you to other people. That's what you've got to figure out. You can't just take any work. The, the, lit, the line is around this planet of people that will tell you they tried that themselves and they have horror stories about all the jobs they took that they would never, ever, ever take now. Listen to them. Another good structured company, tenant, a pillar, is meaningful meetings. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. I think a lot of companies have a lot of meetings, and they aren't all good meetings, they aren't all needed, and they're, they're a real waste of time and energy, and they frustrate people, and uh, they do more harm than good. So I believe in meaningful meetings. You need to find out what that is. Who needs to attend the meetings? Maybe not everyone. Uh, what is this meeting about? Is this a training session? Is this a bitch session? Are we just complaining? Did one person do something wrong and now we're having a new, we're going to change the whole process because one person did it wrong. Happens every day. When do we have them? When is the best time to have these meetings? And then why? Why? What's the outcome? That's, that's to me, a meeting is something where the outcome made it worth to put three to five people in there making 26 an hour for 45 minutes and a meeting costing 800 to $1,500 those are true numbers. If you do the math, you'll understand. I'm not including your time, the owner. Why do we have that? Was it? Did we really, does anyone know anything that they didn't know before? Uh, a good, meaningful meeting can really, really, really set you apart as a company. Uh, and, and that's not only with everyone, but individual divisions. Water division, the fire division, the, the office staff should be having meaningful meetings. It don't include everyone. You don't bring everybody in to talk about the PO system or the, how we answer the phone. Just bring in a few people to do that, okay? A good structured company, this is a big one, is really strong in the areas of their contracts and their sub-agreements. I'm talking client contracts. You have a really good legal contract that um, you, and you need to check with your state, and you're, you might be surprised uh, of your state might require contracts versus work authorizations. But make sure you have a really good one, and it's used at all times, not just sometimes. But everyone on the team needs to be clear that we need a contract to protect the customer, protect our company. It's it's for both. 
Um, we're going to use those. Employee contracts. You may have never even heard of such a thing. This is an agreement. I'm going to pay you this financially with, you know, with, you know monetarily, um, as well as benefits. Maybe there's a bonus situation in return for this employee contract. This could also be tied in heavily with their handbooks. I'm going to do these things. If you do these things, this is an agreement between you and your employee. I will answer the phone this way. I will answer the phone. If I'm assigned to a phone, I will make my voicemail read this way. I will read my emails. I will not use company property in a way that wasn't supposed to be. I will not do drugs. I will not treat other people like this. I will not steal from a customer. I will not take money from a subcontractor, blah, blah, blah. You need employee agreements because when they do these things, when you maybe hire just who you need to, you're usually cleaning this stuff up and it really, really makes a big mess of the company. So, Employee agreements are great. Sub-agreements. If anyone is doing work as a subcontractor in your company, please invest in getting subcontracts and know how to work, operate them. Have them well-written with promises that that subcontractor will do these things per this scope for you, and then you will, in turn, do this. Lots of people operate with no sub-agreements. And it's a very, very, very bad idea. And as you grow, you will see that to be more and more the true. They also need to be up to date. You know, you need to get certificate of insurance for your employees, uh, for your subcontractors. But it helps your payables. Your payables, how you pay your vendors because you have a good sub. You're not paying them for something work they didn't do. There's not a discretion around, well, you didn't do all the job. I'm not paying you all of it. Because what happens is when you get unhappy vendors, it hurts your company. When you have happy vendors and subs, you have happy customers because they will show up when you need them to. When you do not have a good system with subcontractors in your company, you are risking uh, your response times, your uh, ability to complete the jobs like you maybe promised that you would. So, um, And you'll eventually run out of subs to work with. You'll have a reputation in your market. You don't want that. And then um, just have a good security. Uh, again, having contracts and sub-agreements in place. Uh, your staff, your company is going to thrive if it feels safe. If you can weather through these storms and get busy and a new, new subcontractor and it starts to go really bad, maybe they don't do really, really well with agreements. Maybe... Maybe they're great in the field, but awful in the office. Well, you need some security to protect your company, protect your staff, protect your, your financial well-being of your company, and, and, and even your subcontractor. Um, you might be working on a property where it's protecting both of you. So you really, really, really want to make sure that your subagreements, but the, those shouldn't be bad. If you've got any subcontractor that doesn't want to enter into an agreement with you, keep looking for some that do because the best ones probably would not be happy working with you without that. And I'm talking about anyone that you might use as a sub, electrician, plumber, everyone. If you have any questions around that, you can reach out to us at Restoration Advisors. We do it all the time. And then lastly, a structured restoration company, any company, disaster company, and this is hard, the professional ones, the 8% are profitable. I can't tell you how many people I talk to a month, especially a year, 
that love to tell me how much revenue they're doing, how much they collected. I've invoiced $5 million and I've got $4.2 million of it in. Great. Those are great starting numbers. And that means you're doing something right. But how much are you profiting? How much are you keeping? It takes a lot more than just selling to be profitable for a company. There's a lot of companies structured to where you're what I call rich on Friday and poor on Monday. They're just swapping hands. In restoration, single digits, 15%. Not really enough to grow. I, I love 25% net after everything's paid. Everyone, owner's comp and everything. I'm not talking about year in dividends, but I like a 25% profit margin because don't forget, you need that profit. You are the bank for the insurance company. Maybe you're making those making that profit. That's great. But I think that's how you have a secure company that's structured well that no one has to worry about their check not bouncing because when you have low profits, more sales don't help. They hurt. If you have low profits and you don't have a lot of money in your reserve tank for your company, you have not been making a lot of profit, that everything that you do make is required to fund the next two or three jobs. You don't have any extra and you're always really, really close. It's You're probably not charging enough and your overhead's too high. It's one of the two or both. And um, it's going to hurt. And what's going to happen is when you do have an opportunity to do a bigger job, with more revenue, more profit potential, or an area-wide surge where the, compl- uh, the number of jobs increases, you're going to be borrowing if you have that ability, you know, a lot of credit or a loan or whatever that is, friends and family. You're borrowing money to do more work, but you're going to be waiting to pay that. You're not going to get paid for a while unless you're doing cash work. Then you're probably lowering your margins anyway. You've got to be profitable on every single job you do, not just – some, but you got to try to make to where you only do jobs. Otherwise, walk away. If I can't make this, it's a job we don't do. That might not be something you think about. Like, oh my gosh, you're telling me I walk away from jobs? It doesn't cost you money if you don't do that job. It costs you if you do it and don't get paid for it. Then you're out the cash. Then you're waiting for somebody else to pay you. We all know where that goes. So I think these are among Lots more, but a good structured company that has everything has its place. All the supplies in the warehouse are are right where they need to go. The trucks are clean and organized. Everyone's job description is nailed down. They're held accountable. They have, you know, everything's done right. Nothing's really slipping through the cracks. That's possible. It's, It's easier than you think it is, but you as an owner, have to get out of the weeds of running your company and work on being a professional firm. If you do that, if you train people well and they do the jobs great, you're going to grow and you're going to have more and more opportunity to have the company of your dreams. That's going to be it for episode number three, part three of this one. We have the last one coming up next week. Um, that'll end up this series as well as the season for Disaster Podcaster. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.